Hello, everybody. I'm Clay Brace, and it's showtime here again in Berks County, Southeast Pennsylvania, Delaware Valley. Folks, we are here. We are the source for authenticity and exactitude. Our listeners have viewed us as such and listened to us for five years because they know that we're an oasis of truth that comes very quickly at the speed of sound. Folks, you'll get a perspective here today, unlike most of what you see or hear anywhere else. So, I think that's why people tune into us. We appreciate people taking the time to be with us on this beautiful Saturday morning right here on AM Radio 1180 WFYL here in Southeast Pennsylvania in the Delaware Valley. A lot is going on, folks, around the country. We just had the uh, balloon episode that we want to talk about with the uh, the spy balloon episode we want to talk about with Joel Biden and the Democrats and uh and his focus group study that we went through uh, to figure out whether he wanted to shoot it down or not. Uh, we also want to talk a little bit about John Fetterman and what's going on with him um, as he's, uh, you know, has some, uh, he's in the hospital again. I mean, I guess, and, and it's really tragic there. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about about what's going on and how, again, getting back to the spy balloon, we'll talk a little bit, we'll elaborate that and bring it into perspective as well, talking about the the uh, foreign policy perspective, how people around the world see O'Biden and his his uh, incompetent minions. And I also want to talk a little about the war escalation that's going on over there in the, in the Ukraine. And I say the war escalation because that's exactly what it is. I mean, we have we don't have leadership that's trying to de-escalate. We're having people escalate. And, I, um, you know, that's that's the thing we got to get into. So Let's jump into that a little bit before we get into this balloon episode. You know, I think that's important to look at. You know, you're looking at the, we, you know, we as as a country need to have people looking to de-escalate this war. Uh, we need leadership that knows how to de-escalate and, and obviously de-escalate. Uh, you know, we, we have the potential, literally the potential of a nuclear war. I mean, what we're, what we're seeing right now is that, now this is, this is important. We're giving Abrams tanks. To the uh, to the Ukrainians, and of course the Germans are giving tanks, and the British are bringing tanks over. The problem is the Ukrainians don't know how to operate these tanks. You see, they think the tanks themselves, and the Ukrainians already have tanks. They already have their own tanks, and they don't have a lot of them, but they got tanks. The thing of it is, is that when you give weaponry to somebody, and you have to picture it like this, uh, picture it like this. I mean, you know, they're 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 having to figure this out with the tanks. You got to get a team of people, three or four people in the tank, that have to know how to operate the tank, how to operate the uh, you know the, the the technology within the tank, and how to operate it in a war situation. In other words, how to handle it in a battle situation. Uh, they have to know how to do that, and they have to have it's a lot of it's instinctive. I mean, a lot of what you see on a battlefield is instinctive. It's it's not something that is thought out and planned it's not like a game of checkers where you know you're sitting there across from your opponent you say it's your move and you wait or the game of chess that you see on some of the tv shows the older tv shows like the colombo episode with this game of chess where they're playing the game of chess and they're sitting there and they got the clock there and they have to tap the clock it's not like that in a in a, in a real-time war situation i mean where tanks and tanks are designed to support infantry. They're designed to support an infantry movement. They're not, I mean, in other words, an infantry movement as, a, as an attack movement or a defense movement, but they're not designed to work, you, you know, uh, by themselves. They got to have people around them. 
I think what's interesting about tanks, and again, I mean, I'm not a war expert, but I've listened to some of these people. I've done a little bit of homework on this. And, and I understand that when these Ukrainians go through a six-week training course on how to operate these tanks, they come back. They might know this lever does this, this button does that. But they haven't developed the instincts. They haven't developed the reflexes. They haven't developed the skills they need to operate that expensive piece of machinery in a war situation. They haven't they haven't developed that. So what you're running into is you're running into they're they're not gonna have that. And so they're gonna be vulnerable. They're gonna be they're gonna be weak and vulnerable to attack because they're not gonna be able to they're not gonna be able to operate it correctly. You know, if you if you were to hire a, a surgeon to do an operation, you want to hire a surgeon that's done these operations before. You don't want to hire somebody right out of medical college to say, okay, I mean, I've never done this on brain surgery on a live person before. Okay, but I did stay at Holiday Inn Express and I did study for six weeks. Okay, and you know, so th this is not what you're looking for. Okay, you you want someone that's that's battle tested, and a lot of what you see right now in the Ukrainians, of course, are battle-tested in their equipment, but they're not battle-tested in our equipment or the German equipment. The German Leopard tanks are not. And so, you know, this is what you're up against. So they're really, uh, you know, they're, they're, you're, you're really, you're seeing right now that the push to get these tanks over there. I don't know. I mean, there's no real advantage from this. That's what I see. There's no real advantage from this. Okay, there really is no plan or strategy. There really isn't. If you're going to put these things over there and not have a plan or a strategy, I mean, you're 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 opening yourself up to real danger, real world danger, in invoking NATO's mutual defense clause, which could trigger, yeah, that could trigger a nuclear war. I mean, think about it. Okay, I mean, you, you just. It, it just doesn't work that way in reality. You can't think that these tanks are going to be a save the day for a struggling army because it's not like that. And I don't think we, we need to understand that. So, you know, when you when you look at, I mean, I don't think they translate. I mean, they, they don't they don't translate the wins for these people. OK, they just don't. OK, someone that has not done combat operations in tank on tank on tank fights in these type of tanks. OK. Okay, they're not going to know how to do this. Again, I talked about that with the reflexes. So it does come down to the problem is, you know, again, you can work. What works on video games and on paper, okay, it doesn't necessarily work in a battlefield. So my concern on all of this is, oh, Biden is doing this. I think he's doing this because he's being recommended to do this uh, to escalate. They, they realize that the Russians are trying to wind this thing down and they, they don't want it to wind down. I don't think, oh, Biden wants this to wind down. I really don't. I think that's amazing. I mean, you know, uh, it, that's the problem. It, you you had the leadership in this country that want the war. I mean, think about what Biden did. Biden actually baited and goaded him into the war. He goaded Putin into it when he made statements. See, when a president makes statements, they just make a statement. Okay, that statement is foreign policy. You know, on foreign policy it becomes foreign policy. The president makes a statement on foreign policy. That is foreign policy until it's corrected so when he said a small incursion would be okay or something tantamount to that, then he's literally baiting putin into saying a small incursion would be overlooked when he was declaring or and and, and of course communista harris when she was declaring 
and uh, that it would be great having NATO accept the Ukraine. When they were saying that, that was provoking Putin. They weren't trying to minimize. They weren't trying to 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 keep Putin from getting upset. They were trying to provoke him. They were slapping the bear. Think about that, folks. Think think about that for a second. You know, any fifth grader knows if you want to start a fight, you say things that are provocative. You say things that are, you know, you're, you're trying to challenge your opponent. You're trying to get your opponent to to, to knock back down. You're trying to, to get your opponent to slap you. It's interesting. And, uh, you know, in the 1800s, if you will, the Europeans would, uh, would, would, would slap you with the gloves. They'd slap you one side down with the gloves and they drop the glove. They throw the gloves down. And, uh, the or they or they slap you with the glove and throw the glove at you. I mean, that was their way of provoking you into a duel. I mean, you think about duels themselves and how you know duelists got the duel started, okay? Well, this was sort of like duelists trying to start the duel. Someone was trying to start the duel. So there was something to be said of this. So, you know, it's it's really it, you know I've said this before. You're not going to send 500 Ukrainian soldiers into Germany to conduct six weeks of maneuver training and and think you're going to get the same output that the that your own soldiers would have in those tanks. You're just not going to, because they don't even have a baseline, folks. They don't have an understanding of of what the whole. They don't have an understanding that 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 the whole career that other people have had a whole career of training had, you know the time of preparation and so forth, okay? I mean, what are the chances that someone who's never seen or even seen this equipment will have to just <clears throat> fall on it, you know, while they're in combat, potentially a few months from now, which is what they're saying they're trying to do, and it's somehow those things that are going to be effective in combat. What are the chances of that happening? I mean, just on the surface of it, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's people who just don't have any idea on how actual combat power is generated that would believe something like that. That's the truth of it. You see, <clears throat> because maybe it works for movies and it works in video games, just getting this capacity on a video game and proof you know, you got the full capacity as as though you were fully trained. See, because when you're studying at a video game, you know, and you know, boom, poof, automatically you're 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 full capacity because you're studying a video game. You know how to do it, but it doesn't work that way in reality, especially with these tanks. Okay, and and again, another another real issue is the Ukraine has already possessed strategic weapons on the ground throughout the conflict. They already have. It's not as though the Ukraine has no tanks. Like I said, they have them. And, you know, they need tanks to operate because suddenly Zelensky said he needed 300 new tanks. So he says he needs them. Boom, they're there. Well, the fact is they've got, depending on who you believe and whatnot, they got about a thousand tanks already. And according to, I think there was a Bloomberg article, it says somewhere along the neighborhood of 410 Soviet-era tanks have been given to them since the war started in addition in addition to whatever survives from when they first started. So they have the tanks, they have the artillery pieces. We've given a bunch of those to them. They also have rocket launchers. 
you know, so, I mean, I don't know what an Abrams or a Leopard tank is going to do differently than the T-72s or the T-80s or the T-64s they have right now. And that's the real issue here. So what are we really achieving with this? That's where I want to go with that. I believe they're trying to escalate the war. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, that's what I see. I've been seeing that. And, and look, I mean, when you highlight how the Ukraine in a year of fighting has never pushed Russia back from the Donbass region, okay, when you look at that, what makes anybody think that just the presence of a different kind of tank is suddenly going to change all that? <clears throat> That's what I want to know. <clears throat> you see, they have lots of experience in trench warfare and static warfare and, the, and in defense warfare. They, they've actually gotten pretty good at it, and that's why it's so hard in taking Russia so long to push to push them out because they're really good at defending these towns, you know, that then into the Ukraine. But again, it doesn't help you and it, it doesn't help you offensively. It's a completely different skill set. And you know, look, I haven't seen any evidence that they have that. And I haven't heard of any experts saying they have evidence of it. You can't manufacture in a couple of months skill like that. You just can't do it. It takes a lot longer than that. <clears throat> you know, you got, it's just a lot of this, okay? What you're doing is you're making Russia want to go to war. That's what it is. You're providing all this equipment. We have all, we, we have in, in the last eight, you know, last, well, several weeks, okay? And what's apparently coming from these other dozen European nations had, had had a legitimate shot at ending the war and winning it for the Ukraine without sparking a nuclear retaliation for Russia. However, there's none of that. See, all we're doing is making Russia want to go to war, okay? All we're doing is provoking Russia. But we're not trying to deter Russia, to deter them or, or to make them hesitate and count the cost. We're not doing that. It's having the exact opposite effect across the board. We don't have leadership right now that understands that. I think they're trying to provoke this. I think it makes them, I think it, I think this is all going to make the Russians more aggressive. It's going to make them absolutely think that we cannot lose this and double down on their efforts. And even if the Russian population, the general population, don't see any, because we're not seeing the, the, re, uh, the real protests against the war anymore, you barely see any kind of negative social media comments, and that's usually people who aren't even in Russia. So you're not seeing anything in Russia. You don't see any of that because people are far, are you know, are for people are for the most part convinced that this, this is what it has to be done, and that then they feel it. It's a very valid position to say all of NATO is against them. So what they're doing is that Putin is using this to rally his people. He's saying all of NATO is against us. Okay. I mean, that's what's happening. We're, see, we're, we're doing everything except physically pulling the trigger, he said. Now, you know, and that's what I think. That's what I think. We're providing intelligence. We're providing ammunition. We're providing weapons systems, repair facilities, literally everything but pull the trigger. You know, I mean, Imagine during the war with Afghanistan that Russia or China had just completely got behind the Taliban. How about that? What would that have done to people in this country? What would that have done to the people in this country to rally our country around the flag? They're causing 
the Russian citizens to rally around the Russian flag. I mean, their, their citizens are not going to accept this. They're not. They're going to be like, okay, well, it's us against NATO now. And that's the truth. And, they, and you know, this is where we're at. I, I Look, I think Biden um, is hiding uh, behind a fig leaf right now. When he, I mean, he, he's... He, you know, I think Biden wants to go to war. I think he wants to. He wants this to be. I don't think his words mean anything right now. And I think there was an opportunity they had that there is no plan. They had an opportunity to get out of this. They had enough. They had the opportunity. I mean, there is no strategy. Nobody's asking what comes. What what comes next? Nobody's in there talking about this. I mean, don't miss this. All this stuff happens. That this doesn't happen in a vacuum. They're making decisions, cognitive decisions to escalate this war. And I think that's what's happening. And and I'll be I'll be honest with you, I don't think Biden knows what to do. Right? He doesn't know what to do. His leadership doesn't know what to do. <clears throat> I mean, imagine if you're throwing all of this military equipment out there and you don't even know what you want to accomplish. I mean, what's the goal here? What are they trying to do? See, we don't have any discussion about that. No one's calling them out for that. We don't have O'Biden or anybody in the Pentagon telling anyone here in this country whether it's worth it all to send this equipment or whether it's not worth it to send this equipment, whether it's going to make a difference or whether it's not going to make a difference. There's, there's no criteria. There's, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know what to measure it against. We don't even know what we want. Even if we claim, well, we want to win. Okay, okay. Well, let's define what a win is. Because you got the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff one week ago, a couple of weeks ago, re, uh, repeating what he's been saying a lot of, which is, uh, you know, uh, he sees no military path for Ukraine to win this war in the foreseeable future, meaning through the entire 2023. He's already saying that. Well, yeah, I think he's right. I think a lot of us believe he's right. Yeah, but even with all this stuff, of course, you know, this this guy knows that we're going to be what we're what you know what we're going to offer. You know, be, before before we offer, they know what's happening. Asking what the objectives are, you know, the American national security interest is okay. I mean, that this is what we need to be trying to figure out, and you know, because we're we're setting these tanks and think about this. It's, it's just an amazing thing to me. You know, where is the outrage? I can remember when we were thinking about while well, we were, you know, I mean, you know, I, I can remember back uh, well years ago, back in the the communists were in Nicaragua, and there was a there was a huge effort to keep us from sending help down there to fight for the Nicaraguan president, and uh, they allowed the communists to take over. Well, here you have an effort here to 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 go after Putin. I mean, Russia is the biggest stockpile of nuclear weapons in the world. One of the things that's been from the outset we've been looking at here. It's just not it, people haven't come to grips with within the within our side of the world. Is that this isn't Syria, this isn't Iraq, this isn't Libya, this isn't Yemen, this isn't Iran. I mean, we've basically done whatever we wanted to do in all these places and didn't even care about what they might do because we knew they don't have the ability. You say, but that's not Russia. You know, we're having the same mentality here with Russia, which possesses the biggest nuclear stockpile in the world. They can do something. The rules are different with these people, and we need to understand that. We can't behave and act in the interest of Russia or opposed to it like you can against Syria. 
you know, you just can't launch a strike into Russia, especially on their territory like you could against Syria or like we did in Libya or other places, not to worry about what would happen. Because you know, we didn't worry about it. We didn't have to worry about it. But the rules are different here. The rules are different. And, and we're not acting like they're different. That's the that's the concern I have. The rules are totally different and nobody's seeing that. We here on our show are seeing it. That's why we're talking about it. And our listeners on this show right now are recognizing that now. And they, they recognize we're, we're on to something here. You know, the rules are different in this scenario. But our incompetent president doesn't see that. You see, I fear that one day Russia's going to say, okay, okay, you finally did it. You crossed the line, and now we're going to take action. That's what I think can happen. You know, it's funny, the Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, he, he said recently that uh, based on all this stuff about the tanks there, they reserve the right to attack any provider of NATO gear, NATO tanks, NATO vehicles, their ammunition, no matter, no matter where they are, meaning Poland or in some other NATO country. So he's already saying, Okay, you want to escalate this? We're willing to escalate this. So they're saying it right now that they may attack those things that are direct, that are directly for war, that that are there against their forces wherever they are. He's already saying it. All right, so now the rhetoric's increasing. So now, you see, any fifth grader knows, and to de-escalate, you have to start with rhetoric. But when you take actions, you, you can expect the rhetoric to increase, and of course, actions follow that. See, Article 5 of NATO's founding treaty dictates that that member states can consent that an armed attack against one or more of them in Europe or North America shall be considered an attack against all of them. That could lead to an explosion. That's That's what Article 5 is. That's what Article 5 is. So I want our listeners to understand that. When any member, okay, is attacked against one, you know, when, 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 when is under attack, okay, any of them, it's going to be considered an attack against all of them. Folks, there's, there, there is zero chance, and I mean zero, not, not <clears throat> anything, okay, that Russia could ever militarily defeat NATO in a conventional sense. That's the truth of it. But it's a it's a it's a physical impossibility. They're just they're just struggling to defeat the Ukrainians. I mean, in the Donbass. I mean, think about it. It's a next door neighbor. The only way they can def the only way they can defend against NATO is through their nuclear weapons. That they that they have them. And the only way they can fight us, NATO, is through nuclear weapons. And so if we're if we think we to if if, if we try to think that we're going to trigger Article 5 and not trigger a nuclear war, I think we got another thing coming. I think all of us can imagine and understand that. I mean, we're just, if we if we think that we can trigger Article 5 and not trigger, trigger a nuclear war, then we're just insane and fooling ourselves. It's common sense and logic that if you just played, if you, if, if you just played this stuff through, I mean, we don't, and you know, that we don't like to play with reality. I mean, but the, the, the bottom line is we we we're not we're not in reality. Okay, we're not using common sense or logic. We like to play with words, but we're not we're not using reality, and that's the truth of it. 
I mean, uh, you know, if we're, you know, here we are. The I mean, NATO's agreed to supply tanks for the use against Russian invasion, and I'm telling you, this is this is this is an expansion of the war, and this is where I'm concerned. I've, I talked about the uh, the failure of uh, of our of our well, our incompetent foreign policy to uh, you know to 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 lead here, and we we just missed a lot of opportunities. And, you know, look, the evidence of that is how we handled the balloon. I think what's really interesting, I want to get to that now. Uh, you know, we had a uh, that, that, that Chinese spy balloon, okay? They're, the U.S. the U.S. military was monitoring the suspected uh, spy balloon. We remember that before they, uh, this was at the beginning, okay? And uh, there was high-altitude surveillance balloon. That's what they had. And, uh, you know, what we have to realize is that... Uh, you know, what did Joe Biden know and when did he know it about the balloon? I want to make sure we're clear on that, okay? I think, uh, you know, it's really, really imperative that we understand that, okay? Like, oh, like, if we had to ask the question, okay? Like, he first, well, first off, we have to understand, he first learned about the balloon on January 28th, but the public didn't become aware of it until six days later, Okay. When, when people start floating around through amateur video, remember? I mean, why was there a lag in awareness? You know, was it a cover-up? I mean, is it true? Was there a cover-up? I mean, we don't know. Okay. Uh, why did O'Biden's administration, you know, sat on the balloon news? Why didn't they, you know, I mean, why, why didn't they, why didn't Anthony Blinken and Nod come out? I mean, why didn't he cancel his trip? Why didn't he disrupt his trip to Beijing? So he's on his way to Beijing, and here comes a spy balloon. I mean, you don't think there's any correlation there? I mean, which is such a high-profile trip at stake, keeping it on the on the down low was key. Is that what it was? So they saw the balloon incident as a story to be kept on the down low. Is that what we're talking about here? So when did he know it, and why didn't they get it out there? Why did it take literally like a week later? Being shown on, you know, somebody's amateur video, that's when they started talking about the spy balloon. The second thing, the second thing we want to know. And we know that these leftists, these communists, these America-hating leftists often pride themselves on preferring negotiating the confrontation. You know, I mean, that's, I mean, you know, we, we look at their senior climate envoy, John Kerry, because he's been arguing that the most important global issue is engaging China with climate change. Okay, there we have it, though. So, He's, uh, you know, that's what's going on here. But they're trying to work with China on the existential threat, existential threat of climate change, and you know, affecting their stance on the spy balloon. I, I think that's what it is. I mean, they, they, they wanted to, they didn't, they wanted to keep the spy balloon not, not a big deal, so they could work with them on the existential threat for climate change. I don't know. I mean. I mean, maybe that's why they let the spy balloon exist over America's airspace for a week. I, I think there's a possibility for that. Trump, I love what Trump said. Trump said, shoot the balloon down, shoot it down. And then, you know, Leon Panetta made a comment, shoot the balloon down. I mean, Leon Panetta was, was the Secretary of Defense alongside Obama and him in the Obama administration. They all said, shoot this thing down. I mean, were Trump and Panetta correct? Well, could it be said that he was following their lead? I mean, I think that he... Maybe it's a focus group study. Maybe he took a focus group study. Maybe maybe he took a poll and Trump said, shoot it down. And Panetta said, shoot it down. Maybe he wanted to see what the Americans thought. They do polls on everything. 
He probably did a poll on 5,000 Americans to see what they thought. Did they believe the balloon should be shut down? That's why he waited for it to get all the way across the line. They literally shot it down before it got off the East Coast. Literally. They shot it down over Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Think about that. I mean, this thing went over the entire country. It was over this country for like over a week. And he shot it down. And he tried to make it look like, well, we don't want to shoot it down because we don't want to. We don't want damages to private property. We don't want people getting hurt, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, he made it look like, well, we had that. We couldn't shoot it down. We couldn't go there, you know, because, you know, well, yeah, they don't want to shoot it all down over a cornfield because corn stalks might get damaged. So they want to shoot it down over Montana because, well, after all, there's all those people living in Montana, all those giant cities. You know, it's ridiculous. His rationale was utterly ridiculous. You see, fourth thing, you know, then I have to look at it. The number fourth item I'm looking at is an effort to keep things calm. It looked like Obama's administration officials stressed that it wasn't the first such incident. So he makes a comment that he said, well, this has happened years ago. But what precisely is, is he, what, what do they mean here? You know, what are they, are, are, are there anonymous briefers to the media saying that an earlier balloon flew over the U.S. and Trump didn't do anything about it? Well, that's, that's quite an assertion. Doesn't everybody think that? I mean, would your people please affirm that statement under oath, Mr. O'Biden? I mean, I like to see those people trying to, trying to affirm those statements under oath because I don't believe it. You know, Chad Wolf, I guess he was the former acting Secretary of Homeland Security in the Trump administration, declared bottom line a Chinese spy balloon would never happen under an America First administration. Well, I personally don't think he's wrong. I, I don't. I don't think he's wrong. I think I think he's right. I think people know that. If it's the case, number six item is, you know, if you look at it, it's the case that Chinese surveillance balloons have flown over before, even near to the country before, prior to, to you know, prior to now, okay, in, in the Trump's administration. And, you know, they, they need to outline the security policies that they would put in place, okay, to prevent this from happening. But again, they don't have it. Okay, they, they, they indicated that they gave orders back on February 1st to shoot down the balloon. I thought it was interesting. So last, a week ago today, they, 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 they indicated they gave orders to, to shoot down the balloon when it was over the water as opposed to land. And that declaration would seem to suggest that the existence of a substantial paper trail of the executive decision making. You know, uh, be willing to, uh, be, be, uh, to open all those deliberations. I mean, I just think it's amazing. I mean, would they, would they, there's no way, there, there's no way that they, uh, that they would declare that. There's no way. You know, uh, but again, it's just, it's just, I mean, you, you think about it, $54.6 million in donations from sources in China is according to the think tank, the Penn Biden Center. I'm thinking that had something to do with it. That's just my opinion. That's the opinion of many of us on this show right now. I mean, all that money that poured into donations uh, that, you know, in China, okay, the Chinese donations that poured, poured over the, uh, poured into the think tank over there at the Penn Biden Center. I, mean, I think that might have had something to do with it, okay? Now, there is a second Chinese spy balloon finally flying over South America. I think that's important. What, what's the U.S. going to do about this if it enters American airspace? What are they going to do there? I think it's interesting that, that their spy balloon de deliberately avoided Russian airspace. I think that's interesting, okay? But it suggests that the People's Republic of China had tight control over the spy balloon and used that, and used that 
the, that control to avoid having uh, to do anything to upset the Russians. I think that there's something to be said of that too. I think they were deliberately provoking our dementia patient president. That's what I think. But I wanted that you know our listeners need to understand that there's a lot to this, and. You know, there was even some comment, I think, that it wasn't a major breach. That it was not. See, he shot it down because he did not want to come to a State of the Union address with a spy balloon that, that didn't get shot down. But he did make a comment, it wasn't a major breach. So he makes a comment, It was, I think it was last week, he said, this is not a major breach. Oh, it's not a major breach. Okay. The total amount of intelligence gathering that's going on by every country around the world is overwhelming, okay? I mean, that's what he's saying. So, I mean, it's not, this is not a major breach. Okay. So he's busy down, not trying to downplay the balloon, and the U.S. military deems it to be a surveillance balloon directed by the Chinese government, and Biden ordered it to be shot down and recovered. I mean, that's what ended up happening anyway, because I think Trump said, get this thing shot down. So the House of Representatives unanimously passed a resolution condemning the spy balloon as a brazen violation of U.S. sovereignty, and Biden did, did acknowledge that the balloon was a violation of international law in U.S. airspace. It's our airspace, he said. Okay, well, that's fine. Glad he finally decided he's going to shoot it down. I mean, he had antennas to collect communications. I mean, think about that. People don't even talk about it. This thing was gathering surveillance data. That's what it was doing. That's what it was doing. You know, it, it actually, uh, from what I understand, there was a, they were saying that this balloon actually contained technology to monitor communication signals. That's what I heard. Um, it was outfitted with antennas like, likely capable of collecting communications. I want to make sure I point that out. You see, O'Biden determined that the suspected balloon that was shot down, which is the balloon, uh, was operating with electronic surveillance. So he, he made the comment after he said it wasn't a major security threat. What was on this thing was high-resolution imagery from U-2 fly, flybys, and uh, it was a high-altitude balloon. This, this this thing was up to 50, 60,000 feet. It was up there a ways. The equipment on, the, on this spy balloon was, was inconsistent with what would be aboard a weather balloon, and that's the other thing I want to point out. So the People's Republic of China fleet of balloons developed to conduct surveillance operations. What's interesting is I remember back the Germans had the Zeppelin back in the 30s. The Germans had the uh, the blimps. I think it's interesting. But folks, I, I, I want to point that out because we as a society missed it. And, you know, we're we're missing this because if we, we don't, what kind of public policy do we think that people like O'Biden could possibly come up with? What kind of public policy? What kind of leadership could he possibly provide? What kind of leadership? You know, he makes comments on oil. He, I mean, if you, I didn't watch the State of the Union, but I saw some commentary, and he actually made a comment that we're going to need oil for at least 10 more years. He said, we'll need oil for at least 10 more years. What are you talking about? Because he, he decided he wants to get rid of gas cars and by 2035, so he says, we're going to have to get rid of oil. We can't get rid of oil. Everything we have, everything we make, this cut, I mean, our computers, our televisions, bottle caps, everything that everything's made with petroleum products. Don't don't miss that, folks. Don't miss that. I mean, if we were to get rid of petroleum products, we we, we wouldn't have 
contact lenses. I mean, you know, things like things like that. It's an amazing thing. Uh, I want to jump gears a little bit. Fetterman, I guess, had another stroke. And uh, now this is a guy <clears throat> I remember uh, talking about. <clears throat> John Fetterman, <clears throat> who's the who's the uh, former lieutenant governor, man, uh, former mayor of a you know of a, of a town out there in Western PA. Uh, man's never held a job. He lived in his dad's basement, his mother's basement, whatever. So he runs for Senate. Uh, he has a stroke, and they kept it out of the news. Nobody really understood it. <clears throat> and then, of course, <laughs> he ran and won as the Democrat, as the Democrat, uh, you know, candidate because no, that nobody could ever highlight the fact that this guy had a stroke. Now, when you have a stroke, it it produces brain damage. A stroke can actually cause you to have brain damage. I mean, irreversible irreversible brain damage so Fetterman had that stroke and of course he was unable to part, put words together but you know they kept it out of the news they, he kept out of a debate until of course which time he, um, a million male and ballots had gotten in then he said well I think I'll debate now and there were a lot of people upset because they voted for a guy that had brain damage over a renowned heart surgeon with Mehmet Oz Mehmet Oz was a renowned heart surgeon but anyway so uh you know, Fetterman's in the hospital. He remains in the hospital under care um, as, uh, you know, he's still in the hospital as doctors are ruling out another stroke, but moderate emphasize of seizure. They think he had a seizure. Uh, again, he suffered a near-fatal stroke before winning a seat. This was a near-fatal stroke, a lot of brain damage. Uh, he was feeling lightheaded. Um, this, this is what happens. Uh, um, and so earlier in the week, uh, his communication developer, uh, uh, director released a statement confirming that he just received the results of an MRI scan, which uh, I guess together with other hospital tests rolled out rolled out another stroke. So they're saying he didn't have another stroke, but he did have a seizure. That's what they're thinking he had. He'd been monitored with the uh, an EEG at George Washington University Hospital. Again, no indication is given as to when he might leave the hospital, but again, uh, he was flagged as being, uh, I guess, uh, he was allegedly in good spirits. I, I, I just think, I think there's going to be a lot of buyer's remorse. What's interesting is the media enabled a guy with brain damage, a guy that had a damn brain damage from a stroke to get elected. And if again, you know, you're you're trusting news sources. You're looking at news sources saying, oh, keep me in the loop, keep me informed. And nobody kept anybody informed of this. So people that voted for him, voted for him because, well, because nobody knew he had a stroke. You know, and, and again, he, he he's like the word salad Fetterman now. He doesn't even make sense when he talks. But anyway, uh, I just think it's sad. And what happened, I mean, this is a guy you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to drive in a car. You know, that's the truth of it. He looks like, again, he's, he's just, he had brain damage. He's struggling with auditory processing disorders and things like that. And uh, he's not speaking fluidly and, he doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't quickly process spoken conversation and meaning. He doesn't do that. He suffers from cardios, my uh, cardiomyopathy. I mean, it's a disease that makes it harder for the heart to pump blood to the rest of the body and cause heart failure. So he has that going on. I this man may not see the end of his term. They actually elected a guy in this state with brain damage, and I think that's really sad. And uh, I think that's tragic, and that's what happened. But you know. I was on BCTV on election night doing election night coverage, and they were commenting on that. They were saying, okay, so, you know, how do you feel about 
you know, Fetterman, how do you feel about, you know, Shapiro? And I said, well, I said, when you have people who are making public policy cannot define what a woman is, I said, what kind of public policy do you think they're going to come up with? I mean, this is what you're talking about here, crazy public policy. But when you have that compounded into making it worse, compounded by one of these people having a stroke and having brain damage from it, I don't think any good can come out of that at all. I think that's the real tragedy of it all. That's the real tragedy of it. You know, I've, I've said it before, and I, I mean, I'm convinced of it. I, I think that they're trying to escalate. Uh, they're, they're trying their best to, to get people elected without, without debates. I think it's really amazing to me that you have, you know, we actually had the Republican Party, if you will, because the Republican Party really didn't get behind Mastriano. I mean, you had the party establishment here in Pennsylvania actually actually supported Shapiro, uh, which is really a shocking thing to me. Now, I would that would be debated by people in the party. They would say, "Well, we they didn't support Shapiro, they didn't give him money." Well, we had <clears throat> we had people running for uh, Senate on the Republican side actually attend fundraisers for Shapiro. We know that, but I mean, uh, you know, so that's something. But we also ended up, I think what we have a lot of is you have by default, when you're not supporting your candidate, you're 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 strategically aligning yourself to come in second place because you don't care. Winning is not important. And as a party, there's nothing more demoralizing than when your party leaders don't want to win. <clears throat> I think that's very tragic. And I mean, that's that happened. That happened in this country. It happened in this state. <sighs> Anyway, I want to talk a little about what's going on over there in, uh, in Turkey. I mean, we had a complete, utter tragedy over there in Turkey. I mean, uh, I guess they've got pretty lax building codes. I think that, that caused them some real grief. Uh, I guess that's what we're hearing now. The building codes were really lax. But the Tur Turkish government's uh, promising uh, to investigate reports of negligent construction and maintenance and, and the buildings that were destroyed. It looks like the death toll surpassing over 22,000. I mean, that's just a real, I mean, I mean, it's amazing. Some of these people are just trapped. They're still trapped. I can't even imagine that. I, I think that's horrible what happened there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, the, um, I mean, the building, because you, you end up with these countries. See, well, you, you have buildings that are built in this country and around the world that are not able to sustain earthquakes. They're just not. They're not designed that way. They were just built with brick and mortar and block construction, concrete block construction. <laughs> well, they're not exactly flawed buildings. I mean, but when the earth shakes it, you know, if you have an 8.0 Richter scale earthquake, a lot of stuff's going to happen. A lot of stuff can happen. I mean, they're trying to say the disaster was caused by shoddy construction, I not by an earthquake. I, I just think that's crazy. I mean, I wouldn't, I, I don't think that's the case. I mean, it's common knowledge buildings in the quake zone were built in with weak materials that did not measure up to standards. But I mean, they were built. But I mean, they were built prior to two twenty, prior two thousand. They were built thirty, forty years ago, fifty years ago. You know, I mean, uh, they have on paper. Turkey has on paper construction codes that meet earthquake engineering standards. But keep in mind, I mean, these buildings were built prior to that. A lot of it was. And 6,000 to 7,000 buildings collapsed on Monday. That's what they're estimating. 
however strong, though, no earthquake could have caused that much damage if all the buildings were up to standard. And I think that there is some truth to that, but we, we know that buildings weren't up to standard. How many of those buildings that were collapsed, how many of them were built prior to 2000, prior to building codes changing? You know, you can't, you can't retroact building codes. That's the truth of it. So the question is, why are so many of these buildings, why does so many of them collapse? Well, I would say it's, it has to do with an 8.0 Richter scale. That's what I would say. You know, that's what I would say. It has to do with a massive earthquake, you know. And and I, I don't think they should be blaming shoddy construction. I think they, they know what they're doing is they're opening the door for liabilities and all kinds of problems. I mean, there's no reason for that. There's no reason for that at all. Well, how about uh, Disney uh, crashing and burning? I think that's interesting. Um, I mean, Disney. He just, I mean, Disney is losing its shirt in the stocks. I think that's interesting. Um, you're seeing right now, I mean, uh, <clears throat> Disney is, uh, I mean, the, the bottom fell out of their stock. And I mean, look, this is what happens when you make movies that don't sell. This is what happens when you run off majority of the country. They don't want to come by and they don't want to watch your movies. So when you're putting movies together for the purpose of propagandizing Americans, you're not going to get very far with that. Oh, I think it's interesting. There was a lot of, oh, by the way, on the uh, State of Disunion that O'Biden had. Again, I didn't spend a lot of time talking. Matter of fact, I didn't spend any time talking about the State of Disunion. Uh, but he, uh, it truly, uh, the State of Disunion was a uh, was a was a big joke. But I thought what was interesting was uh, was Jill Biden kissing uh, Kamala Harris's husband's right on the right on the lips. I thought it was very interesting. I mean. I mean, it's one thing when you kiss each other on the cheek, but they were right on the... I, I was like, wow. Okay. <laughs> That's a... I mean, but Kamala Harris, she didn't... Uh, she didn't uh, She didn't comment on it. She didn't want to comment on it. Um, I mean, when she was asked about it, she just changed the subject real quick. But and she said, I haven't watched the video. And she quickly switched the subject to something completely unrelated to, to, the, to the kiss. But I mean, it was really awkward. I thought it was really weird. I mean, the the first lady and the second gentleman are working arduously with what uh, they're doing with, with the president against anti-Semitism. But let me uh, let me avoid the obvious there. Uh, I, I I just thought that was really awkward. You know, when you got profane people, they they don't they don't think twice about the image of anything. And I think what happened was it was, you know, right on the lip kiss, and people went, "What? What is that?" I mean, it was just, it was just weird. It just went, it went over badly. Oh, I thought it was interesting. I, I'm going to, I'm going to get in a little bit into get, getting into, I started getting into this earlier. So bear with me for shifting gears here. Uh, Biden, uh, when he, when he talked about the, uh, uh, not shooting the balloon down, he said, uh, he said, I don't think, uh, I don't think that the experts in the intelligence community, the defense community, I don't think they've gotten more out of it. You know, if he shot it down sooner, he says, oh, you know, can we get a shot it down over a big state like Canada? Big state like Montana, he said, and it could have came down in this you know, on a house or something. I thought, you know, you got to be kidding me. I mean, he's concerned about a state like Montana shooting that balloon off. Let me tell you something. Montana is a state that is, I'm going to say, six times larger than Pennsylvania in land wise, land mass, land mass, maybe five times, but it, it's it's much larger than Pennsylvania. And it has about 700,000 people in the whole state. So picture the county of, 
Well, let's just picture let's just picture Lancaster County. No, picture yeah, picture Lancaster County. The population in Lancaster County spread out through Pennsylvania. You know, a state five times the size of Pennsylvania. What are the chances of them balloon hitting somebody? Not very good. I mean, I think the population per square mile there was like five or ten. So there wasn't any chance of that of anybody hitting anything there. I thought that was interesting. But I wanted to I wanted to highlight that because Biden made the comment, well, you know, I shot it down over there. People could have been hurt and property could have been hurt and and you know, he wasn't called out for that. You know, it's interesting. If you're if you're a, a reporter and you hear that question, you'd have to laugh right in his face and say, What are you what are you telling me? What do you think I am? What do you think the American people are? You gotta be kidding me. You know? But anyway, uh, I wanted to get into that. I thought uh, what you're seeing now, I think, was interesting with the, oh, uh, you had uh, you had uh, what you're seeing right now in the Republican Party right now. You're seeing Ukraine fatigue resolution now. It's coming to an end in USA. So you're actually, you had a bill per, uh, that's being introduced in the uh, in the house to end the u.s aid and purge the peace deal they, they want to force a peace deal so if the house can vote for a peace deal in ukraine that might force Joe biden's hand so getting into that i thought it was interesting matt gets actually initiated that again we need leadership in washington the one that makes it and the one that can make it happen isn't doing anything i think that's really really tragic they're not doing anything they're just letting it happen they're letting it happen and, uh, you know, I, I mean, and, and, you know, I, I think when you, when you look at, when you look at what's happening right now, and, and again, I, I'm going to get back to the idea that we don't have leadership looking to settle this matter. Many wars, like when you look at World War II or World War War, and you look at the, these wars and how they got out of control, how fast they got out of control. Think about what started the Spanish-American War. Think about what started that one. You know, the, the the shooting of the Maine. I mean, think about that. Folks, when you look at what started wars and what escalated them, I mean, what they're trying to do right now is they're trying to, to justify the sending of these tanks and the de-escalating of the war, but they're trying to they're trying to find they're trying to scratch the surface. What they're doing is they're they're going to cause people in Russia to rally around the flag, as I stated. And I think that's my main concern here. That's my main concern. And I think uh, it's just really compelling when you look at what's happening right now. And, and it's 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 obvious. It's obvious. They, because they're not trying to get out of it. And that's why I, I've been saying this over and over. I think as, a, as Americans, we have to know. I mean, we have to understand that Getting into a war with Russia is a totally different story, as I said earlier, than getting into a war with Ukraine and, I should say, with Syria and Iraq, because they can't do anything back to us, but Russia can. And when you're provoking Russia, I mean, we know they can't beat us in a war, or heck, they can't even beat the Ukraine, but we do know that they have nuclear stockpiles that can cause a lot of problems for us. But I think right now, as Americans, we got to understand that that's what we're running into. 
this could this could get up there. And you know, look, I I, I hope I'm not right. I'm I'm not trying to be right here. I'm I, I'm hope I'm wrong. But there's reasons right now that Trump is likely to, he's right now he's looking like he's likely going to be the hypothetical Republican challenger next year. I mean, he's double digits ahead of anybody else. As this year winds down, and as we see more candidates getting in the race, by November, we're going to have this race pretty locked in. I mean, Trump's already making his declarations. He's already ready to run. DeSantis may or may not jump in the race. He hasn't said one way or the other. We had uh, we had the guy up in New Hampshire there. He said he's going to jump in the race. Um, we know that some other people, I mean, might get in the race and never Trumpers. But, I mean, the bottom line is Trump's going to end up winning this thing with about 55% of the vote in the Republican primary. And I think that goes without saying he'll win it. And uh, he will really take the fight to these people. I mean, literally, he'll. There, there's a lot that he can talk about, a lot that he can spread, spend time discussing and highlighting. I mean, he knows what America first looks like, and we all know how good it can be in this country. And he's going to talk about, he's going to spell out for the public what's going on with the, with the, you know, what's going on right now. He'll, he'll spell out the public what's going on with regards to uh, this country, and he'll, he'll make sure that the country knows the proper perspective. He will divide, he will put that out there. And you're not going to have a COVID, you're not going to have a COVID shutdown. We won't any more. You're not going to have any more races where you don't have debates anymore. I mean, I think that the media is going to be called out for not calling those things out. But anyway, folks, we have to leave it there. Uh, thanks to all of our listeners for being with us today. Thanks for being with us and taking the time with us on our show. We've been doing it for a long time, and we truly, truly do appreciate it. Thanks for being with us. Uh, see you next week on The Point, and uh, enjoy the football game tomorrow as a uh, as uh, the Philadelphia Eagles are playing for the Super Bowl championship, so that'll be interesting to see. But enjoy the game tomorrow. Enjoy our show later today at 1 p.m. on The Watchmen as well, folks. We've got a really good show lined up then as well. So, folks, see you next week on The Point. I'm Clay Brees. Goodbye for now.